discrimination comes in all sorts of ways, and it can show up in the world of financial services. In this episode, Leslie Tain will share with us how to protect ourselves. You did it. You have found your judgment-free zone, the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for women who want to become reinas of their money and love their dinero more. I am your host, Jen Hemphill, a former extreme frugalist turned reina of your money advocate. Each week, I'm going to help you reign your money like that queen that you are with inspiring interviews and panel discussions from La Comunidad Latina and with solo episodes sharing simple, actionable tips and strategies. Thanks for spending some time with me today. And now let's jump into today's Dose of Money Confidence. Hey there, ¿cómo estás? I am pumped you are here with me. This is Jen Hemphill, your host. I hope that wherever you find yourself listening to this episode, that you are doing well. Now, listen, I know we are living in crazy times, but I feel that it is my duty to keep you in good spirits and uplifted so you can maneuver these times with more confidence. Now, today we are going to be meeting and getting to know the fabulous Leslie Tain, and we're going to be talking about discrimination in financial services. It's something that maybe you have encountered or maybe that you haven't encountered or maybe when you're listening to this episode that you realize, oh, maybe I did face some discrimination. So I wanted to tackle this topic as I feel it's important just to have the awareness, not to add any fear to you because that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to provide the awareness so you can be educated and be aware if this happens to you. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Leslie Tain. Leslie is an award-winning financial attorney and author of Life and Debt. She has over 20 years of experience in consumer and business financial debt solutions which include negotiations with large international banks and credit agencies for loans, lines of credit, credit cards, and student loans. Leslie is the founder and managing director of Tain Law Group PC, a law firm headquartered in New York dedicated to debt solutions. In this episode, you're going to learn how the Holocaust influenced her money story, as well as the lessons she learned in her first marriage. What led to her practicing law focusing on debt relief and the warning signs of discrimination and how it can show up in financial services. Lista? You ready? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Leslie. I'm excited to have you on the Her Dinero Matters podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Let's start with your money story and how you grew up around money. So let's learn a, a little bit more about you, Leslie, in terms of how you grew up around money, what you saw, what you heard. So I grew up around um, in a pretty nice area. Um, most of what was surrounding me were a, a lot of affluence. I had experience observing people who uh, got a lot. And my parents, neither one of them came from money. In fact, my uh, mother is a child of Holocaust survivors and an only child. And their family had lost everything. So they started with nothing when they came to this country as immigrants. So I'm only second generation here. And that certainly shaped, obviously, my mother and then and then shaped me. Uh, there was you know, certainly concern on their side for money 
because they had lost so much during that process and the difficulty in coming to this country and then getting started here was very, very challenging for them. So they didn't have much. And my grandfather always told my mother that she should be a teacher because as a woman, she needed to have something she could fall back on after she had children. So even though she really wanted to be a journalist, um, her father greatly discouraged that. Uh, and she ended up becoming a teacher and working for a teacher and had, had a great teaching career for her life. She did work all the time when I was a, um, a child. She was a working mom. I'm one of four. My father um, was an attorney and um, he also didn't come from money. He um, came from working class parents as well. So he wasn't surrounded by money by any means. Interestingly, he did have an opportunity to go into a family business uh, and turned it down to pursue his law career, which took him many, many, many years to build and uh, and actually make money. Uh, and I do remember over the years uh, as a child, my parents really struggling with that as my father's business you know, ebbed and flowed. Sometimes things were better than other times and the challenges that they faced financially. Uh, I do remember growing up feeling like my parents were not as generous as I wanted them to be financially. Uh, but, you know, from a child's perspective, that's um, I, I'm sure I didn't understand the dynamics of that. But they did influence me a lot money wise because my father was very um, he was the one who was in charge of the bills. He paid all the bills. But yet my mom, who had a job seemed to share her money with my father. She had an opportunity to be able to use some of that money for things that she wanted. So my thoughts on money was definitely shaped by my childhood, no doubt, because again, I was, I grew up in a very affluent neighborhood. And even though I may not have been one of the ones that had as much as others, that observation of that tr created tremendous desire for me to have and want money. So there was uh, coupled with the fact that I, I have tremendous drive to begin with. So I worked very young. I started working when I was 12 years old as a babysitter. And I, I worked throughout my teens. I had multiple jobs many times. Uh, and relying on my parents for money was, I felt, was a challenge and, a, and really a, a crutch. And it was tr with tremendous strings attached to get money from my parents. And I was just not willing to sacrifice myself to get money from them. So I worked very, very hard in multiple jobs. I went to college. I went to a state school. Uh, back then, you know, the, the, there wasn't really a lot of option. It's not like somebody said to me, go anywhere you want. It's just that's where I ended up. Uh, I never even looked at the school before I went there. I just went. And so totally different than my own children who were in college where we, you know, spent years and years researching where we were going and why we were going there. So different experience there, but certainly the the way that was shaped uh, ended up with my first marriage. The man that I married very, very young uh, and my children's father had very similar money characteristics, I want to say, like my parents had. So he controlled the money and I was fine with that because he was the income earner at the time. And, um, you know, he had very strict and, and very specific ways of doing things. And I just went along with it. I was young and I, I honestly didn't think I cared that much. But he was supposed to be taking care of the bills and including my student loans from law school. And that's where, you know, a few years into the marriage, I started, you know, looking into things and my kids were really little and I was getting all these notices were coming from Sally Mae. And I was like, what are all these notices? And I started opening the mail and seeing that things weren't being uh, handled. And that's when I, you know, that was sort of the beginning of the end for a lot of reasons. But uh, I subsequently got divorced. And I had to take control of all the money and all the situations. 
my career was also taking off. I was in-house counsel to a national debt company. So I started to be exposed to a variety of financial circumstances, you know, people from around the, the country with all different kinds of reasons for being in debt and, and their financial issues. I left that and started my own practice because I felt like I could service I- individuals, consumers, people uh, from all walks of life in a different way than I could service them as in-house counsel. So I started a, my law practice, which was really focused solely on helping people with financial related issues. So then I started to shape a started to think and shape my own beliefs in money and the management of money. So I got out of my marriage. I was managing my own money, managing my business's money. That's really important to know too. Managing the money from what would be my children's future and also now managing hundreds and hundreds of people's financial related issues. So uh, I definitely do am very conscious about money and finances. And I say that very carefully and strategically because the reason why is because I'm very aware of where I came from. I'm very aware of who I am as a child of not only immigrants and Holocaust survivors, but parents who uh, had bird and fish issues related to money, the way my mother handled money, the way my father handled money, and really taking that into consideration when I make my financial decisions. What is it that I want for myself financially? How do I want to pay my bills? How do I want to manage the money that I have to manage? And there's a lot of it because uh, you know, I have clients, I have lots and lots of clients with lots and lots of financial stuff. And so I found a way to manage it really effectively. I found a way to find my way, not only as a single mom, you know, somebody with um, who had complete independence now, which is a wonderful feeling, and the ability to make the decisions on my own and trust myself now. So that's really my money story. I love it. And I want to go back to, because you became an attorney, was it before you're around your first marriage? You said you married young. Yeah, before. I I graduated from law school right before I got married. So I was very young. I was 24, turning 25. And did you know at that time you were going to work in the finance industry, your, your law practice or the law that you were focusing on, was that what you started with? Or how did that come about? Because I'm curious if it had to do with your past money story, how you grew up around money, or was that shaped somewhere around in your first marriage because of your experience? So I had no idea I'd be in the field I am in today. In fact, it would probably have been the furthest thing from my mind. First of all, it didn't really exist when I was in law school. Yeah, there were creditor debtor laws, bankruptcy, and I was very interested in bankruptcy. I had worked, uh, one of the places I worked, uh, I had an opportunity to experience a little bit of bankruptcy, and I thought it was very interesting. But I saw myself really going into public service law because I was, um, I re- really focused, I really wanted to have kids. Uh, that was so important, super important to me. And I thought that public service law would give me the opportunity not only to serve people, but also, you know, a little more flexibility with my career. But uh, that's what I did in law school. I spent a lot of time in public service, like county attorney, attorney general, um, even criminal at the district attorney's office, things like public service law. So when I graduated from law school and I didn't get a job, I, I did get a job, I should say, in that area, I really didn't like it. I didn't like my experience. I didn't feel that I that I could give my best 
uh, and that my best would not do my clients who I was serving, um, there, give them the best opportunity that there was a limitation and I didn't, wasn't comfortable with that. So I took a position as in-house counsel in this financial services company. And that's really what projectiled me into this. That was sort of like stepping into my destiny. Okay. Awesome. And then what have you seen uh, since that shift in your career to more in the financial services industry? What have you seen? I would presume uh, that with the state of the student loans, the state of people being with a ton of debt, that that has grown because uh, you mentioned it didn't really exist. And have you seen that just grown tremendously? What have you seen in terms of that? So this industry has exploded. So when I first started, the debt settlement, debt consolidation, debt management was so in the early stages. It it existed, but it was quiet. Most people didn't really know about it. It exploded at the time that I was coming into this business. Collection, on the other hand, it's interesting because the collection side of things where you're the debtor and there's creditors, the creditor side has existed for many, 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 many years predating the side of assisting consumers. It's really interesting when you think about it because the collection side was out there doing their thing, collecting debts and, you know, in, in a lot of cases, harassing people, threatening people, uh, discriminating against people, doing all kinds of things to collect money that was owed and saying all kinds of things to consumers. And there was nobody on the debtor side to help them. There were li- there were no laws or limited laws. And uh, this industry popped up to help consumers on the consumer side. And when new industries pop up, you have to understand that sometimes it runs away and you have a number of people that take the ball and run with it and become and do things that are not in the best interest of the consumer. So when things explode like that and there's little to no regulation, you get the people who uh, are out there for the wrong reason. So unfortunately, the industry has gotten a lot of negative press because there was an opportunity for those to take advantage of consumers. Since then, obviously, there are laws and a lot more restrictions in the industry. But yes, as I said, the industry has really grown a lot in the last 20 plus years that I've been in it. Student loans, which existed 25 years ago. I took a student loan for law school. So they existed, but there really wasn't any student loan debt help. So I can tell you that when I took my student loan for law school, I tried to take as little as possible, but there was no way I could afford law school and my parents were not paying for it. So I had no option. So I walked into financial aid. I said, I don't know, I need a loan. They said, how much? I said, I don't know, I guess this amount. They said, here, sign here. So I signed. I didn't read anything. Nobody talked to me about it and understand it. I didn't know how to pay it back. There was, I remember an assembly, like a meeting about the student loans. I remember sitting there listening to it and thinking, I don't know what they're talking about. And I was in law school. And I, and I remember sitting there. It's so clear to me. I remember sitting there looking up being like, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know how I'm going to be able to pay this. And frankly, at 22 years old, I don't really care. I'm going to law school. So with that, there was really nothing there to help people like myself uh, and my generation uh, to deal with student loan. Today, completely different. Now there are, um, student loan does exist. It is a an opportunity for those to go to, uh, uh, to get an education where they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford to at certain institutions. I believe it's a choice. Uh, you have the choice to go to certain schools and you have the choice to take that loan. 
and you, um, there are a lot of services out there that can explain those to you. And I can tell you that my own children have turned around and said, I don't care about the loan. I don't care about the debt. I just want to go there. I'm happy. I have a number of different perspectives, not only as a parent, but as a, uh, an attorney and somebody who deals on the front line with people who really have financial issues. I mean, I'm not in the back, you know, having people research the information and then they come out and they write blogs for me. I am on the front line with real people who have real problems with dealing with this stuff and the truth is that it's a real problem. And the understanding of it, there is a way to understand the debts. The question becomes understanding that it's a choice to take that. I had a choice too. I wanted to go to law school. So my choice was to take the loan. I wanted it. So yeah, was there no choice? You know, some people might say there's no choice, but there was. And I want to say that very clearly because I don't believe that n- nobody put a gun to my head to go to law school. I wanted to, and I didn't look into any other options. This is, I live in New York and I was going to practice in New York and this is where I wanted to be. So it's not like I even researched it looking for lesser expensive options. I just said, this is what I'm doing. So my industry has changed so much because the information is now out there and available and good information and good resources. People like myself who do the right thing by consumers who are very educated and extremely knowledgeable in finances that and can help you if you seek them out and not be afraid. So the industry has changed a lot and there's a lot of regulation now and understanding what the regulations mean and how those regulations impact you and your finances is really important because they do. They do impact you. So you should be a little bit in the know on the regulation side. Absolutely. So, you know, you talked about debt in terms of student debt, and we know that there's a lot of student debt out there. There's a lot of people on credit card debt. Now, I want to shift the conversation a little bit about, because there's a lot of stigma, right, around debt. And like you mentioned, it's a choice, and I completely wholeheartedly agree where debt is bad. And for people that are needing to apply for some credit uh, for a loan, uh, sometimes there's some discrimination when it comes to financial services. So I wanted to shift that conversation to this, to the top of the, to the topic of discrimination, because I know uh, there is one law, and, and I want you to just briefly talk about it, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act that is really set up to help protect us as consumers from these discrimination practices. But can you tell us a little bit about what this discrimination can look like, what this law is intended for, and maybe some of the warning signs? Okay, so let's start with your comment that debt is bad and the stigma that debt is bad. Debt is not bad. Debt is a good thing. It can do a lot of wonderful things for you and create lots of opportunities for you, open lots of doors, put a roof over your head, give you a car, an education. So first of all, I would tell your listeners, please don't think debt is bad. Managing debt is what you need to do to keep it from becoming bad. Debt becomes bad when it's not managed correctly. When you are given opportunities for lending in certain lending practices that can become discriminatory, that... Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. I can make it bad for you because you got a bad deal because you didn't know. I want to touch on discrimination in the credit field from a couple of different angles. There's discrimination because in some ways, if you're not educated and you don't 
understand or have access to information and you don't know how to disseminate the information, meaning you don't know how to understand it, you may feel discriminated against because the material and information is not explained to you. You don't understand it. You're afraid or embarrassed to ask. I don't understand. And I really want to say very clearly, please don't ever sign any loan documents, take out a credit card, buy anything on credit if you really don't understand. There are people who can explain it to you. And it's okay that you're not as educated as, let's say, somebody like myself. You know, it's the expectation when you go and you into a bank is that that banker is going to help you not make things worse, not take advantage of you because you don't know. You know, I have clients that come to me that don't know, but that doesn't mean that I am here to take advantage of somebody who doesn't understand what they're signing. I really want to stress that discrimination comes in a couple different forms. One is the discrimination because you are not educated and somebody's taking advantage of you. And it doesn't matter what race you are or what your religion is, you can be discriminated against because you just don't you just don't have the level of education and understanding. And, and honestly, don't be hard on yourself. How could you? How, how could you possibly have an understanding of loan documents and credit applications? I mean, you didn't go to school for it. Most people didn't. And it's written by attorneys. Exactly. That's what I was just getting. It's written to that, like by attorneys, like people like yourself. So it's jargon, attorney jargon. So Correct. you're exactly right. And I like that you say that because I think we beat ourselves up where we, the thing is, we don't know what we don't know. And and that's okay, completely okay, okay, because we can change that, right? Online, like you said, you need, if you don't understand something, don't sign it and and don't sign it until you find someone that can explain it to you in a way that you can understand, right? Because not everybody is going to explain it the same way. Uh, so it's important to find someone that you're comfortable with that will ex- well, that will take time to explain it to you in a way that you can understand. And don't feel pressure. That's the other thing that I find. I find people get pressurized. So that's a, that's a form of discrimination, pressuring you to make a decision on, on very big financial moves without you really having an understand, I feel is a form of discrimination because it's not right. And you're being discriminated against because you know somebody who has more information or otherwise is taking advantage of the fact that you have less information and you're less, maybe less educated. But I, I do want to point out that I want to say something that may be helpful for listeners. When I went to law school, my contracts professor, this is how we were taught how to read contracts. Word by word, line by line, punctuation by punctuation. So when you're reading contracts, do not read it like a book. It's not a book. It's a contract. You read it, hold a pen or pencil next to it, highlighter, whatever works for you, old school. And every time you get to a word that you don't understand, and this is what I did, we did in law school, no joke. You circle the word that you don't understand and you look it up. And you get the definition of each one of the words that you don't understand. And if it takes you a week to figure it out, it takes you a week. And there are so many organizations out there, I have to say. There are the bar associations. The There are not, tons of not-for-profits. There are um, the law schools have clinics. There are so many ways that you can find help to understand stuff. You could reach out. I mean, we always do free consultations. So, you know, if I can't help you, somebody else will. So, 
get the help that you need. Don't be afraid to ask. You know, a lot of people get really embarrassed because they come to me and they're like, I don't know. So I feel really embarrassed and I don't want to ask the questions. And, you know, they feel overwhelmed and intimidated. And that intimidation is the discrimination piece when you start to feel intimidated. So if you get that feeling in your stomach that that's how you're feeling, then you need to understand that discrimination piece. So that's the non-legal side of it. And what you touched on also was the legal side of it. And there is something, there are laws and no one expects you to know the laws. Most attorneys don't know them unless they practice in the area. But the Equal Credit Opportunity Act is one such law that was written for consumers and it prohibits creditors from discriminating against credit applicants on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin, sex, marital status, age, etc., because an applicant receives income from a public assistance program or, you know, or otherwise. So the Department of Justice is who files lawsuits under the ECOA, which is the law where there's a pattern of practice of discrimination. But what happens is you may not know that you were discriminated against. Uh, you may not, you just may not know. So it can include your home mortgage or home improvement loans, the Fair Housing Act, unfair credit revolving around um, residential properties and things like that. Now, there's another organization called the CFPB, this Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They came about uh, also to help deal with discrimination that comes up um, through banks and otherwise. Uh, and that's who uh, bank savings associations, credit unions with assets over $10 billion and their affiliates. So those are large banks. That organization you can file a complaint with. But the question is, you know, we, we're touching on this and I'm being a little evasive about it because I don't want to get into too much legalese where it starts to become like, no, but the reality of those laws is knowing that they exist. And, but the question would be, do you know you're being discriminated against? How do you know? How do you know that that loan person is giving you what they gave the next person who understood things better or, or the uh, couple that, you know, or not the people who came in who are who look like they're non-immigrants. How do you know that you're getting the best deal? You yourself as the individual have to be aware. And, and there's a sensitivity there. You don't want to be overly sensitive where you point the finger and say you're being discriminated against when you're not, because that puts everybody back on their heels and everybody gets upset. But you want to be aware. Do you feel you're getting the best deal? Do you do you understand what you're signing? Did you go to a couple of different banks? Did you fill out credit applications for different people? Did you deal with different people at, at different organizations? Did you go online and try it there where it's anonymous? Really, you can't tell from a name. I mean, think about my name, Leslie Tain. You have no idea who or what I am. So you can't tell from a name or make a judgment call based on a name these days. But you may have a name that's a lot more ethnic sounding, and you might feel that because of your name is much more ethnic sounding, someone's going to make a judgment call based on who you are and what you are. So my recommendation is to try to go to multiple different places and make a comparison of the treatment that you receive and the information that you receive. And most things are pretty highly regulated, but sometimes I have clients that call me up and they tell me things and I'm like, what? That's what they told you? That, that's not true. That's just not accurate. Now, there could be a misunderstanding of the information they're giving you. That's possibility. But you have to get a second opinion. It's like going to a doctor. And when you're making a large purchase uh, on credit applications, mortgages, sometimes cars, when you're making a large purchase, you're obligated contractually now to that agreement. And if you sign that agreement, I could tell you right now that it will be very difficult to get out of that agreement and to try to prove 
that you were somehow discriminated against unless it's really blatant. You really want to try to have an understanding of what you're signing and definitely try to get a second opinion. Discrimination, it exists in so many different ways these days. Um, it's not what it was in the old days when these laws came into effect where it was so blatant that if you walked in, you know, as a minority that you were truly discriminated. I remember myself feeling discriminated against as a woman that I would walk into a car dealer and I would be like, you got to be kidding me that you're not going to give me attention you know, 10, 15 years ago. Today, I don't get that same sense when I walk into a car dealer by myself um, because I do do that by myself. My current husband doesn't, doesn't help me with that stuff. So side note, just I do do it on my own. If I felt discriminated against in any way that somebody wasn't treating me nicely because I'm a minority, I would walk out and I'll take my business elsewhere. I will take my money elsewhere. I will take my business elsewhere and I won't deal with them. But you have to be aware of that. Are, you know, are you being mistreated? Are they being respectful to you? Are they, are they talking to you? Are they being condescending to you? Like, hey, you should really understand this or read it over. And, you know, it's no big deal if you, you know, it's no big deal what it says. Just sign here. No, no, no. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. And you need to say, you know what? It is a big deal to me. I'd like you to take the time to explain it to me. Oh, you know, everybody just signs on the dotted line. Everybody just does this. Can't you just do it? Every, you know, this is what everybody does. I always tell people I'm not everybody. Even recently, as recently as being in the hospital, I asked them to print the documents for me. So not only would I have a copy of it, that I could read it later when I was feeling better or I had a moment of freedom to understand what it was that I just obligated myself to, because there's obviously a financial obligation in there too. And you can call it somewhat discriminatory because you can't get admitted to a hospital until you sign the dotted line without having, you think you could read those pages in five minutes? The credit comes in a lot of different forms. It's just not a credit card. Like I said, when going to hospital, it's sort of like credit because you are going to get a service that you're going to buy now and pay later, even though it's a medical service. Um, sometimes financial services are like that too. So be aware that you know you taking on a financial obligation for credit extends past your house and your car and your boat and your student loan. So those are all places that you need to realize that those are the obvious ones and there are non others that are not as obvious. But like I said, you know, as far as you being aware of the fact that there is discrimination, if you feel there are laws out there that will protect you. And there's lots of agencies out there and they're all online and they're all accessible by your phone and they're all accessible by a search engine. And by search engine, you can put in, if you feel like you're being discriminated against, you can put a search in, am I being discriminated against if I'm told not to read a document? And that something will pop up. You know, you can put anything you want into a search engine and take your time and don't feel the pressure. But again, if you are being discriminated against, there are agencies that will help you and they will look at your case. And I would tell you that you need to document it. You need to be aware of it. You can't just say, okay, and go ahead with it and then come back and say, I was discriminated against and then try to get out of it on that basis. You want credibility you absolutely want credibility when you're making those kind of complaints because it's really serious and you, you don't want to take that kind of lightly. You know, you know, from my perspective as a practitioner, you know, debt doesn't discriminate. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what religion you are. I, I don't even see that stuff anymore. I don't see it at all. I see credit statements, <laughs> bank statements. I see credit cards. I see loans. Uh, especially with credit cards, not necessarily mortgages or bigger 
ticket items, but those, a lot of those things are automatically are automated in terms of approval. So, so you don't see that. So you're absolutely right. So I'm curious to know, you talked about the warning signs, what our options are, which is basically to document, to just be aware of what's going on, making sure you have that credibility. And you mentioned different organizations that are there are here to help us, one being the CFPB, but how do we know, like, what are your top places that you would go to in case you are being discriminated, who, because you can Google, but unfortunately with Google, you can't some credible and legitimate resources out there. And then some of those that you mentioned that, that also can take advantage of people. So how, what would you say are the go-to places? So you want to go to a government organization like the FTC, something.gov, G-O-V, uh, .org is usually a, a not-for-profit but .com or some of the other .nets are not. So .gov. So you want to go to, let's say, the FTC. Um, they enforce the Equal Credit Opportunity Act. So that's certainly a place that you can go to. You can also go to your state attorney general's office, your Department of Consumer Affairs. If there's really some matters, you can actually contact your district attorney's office as well. You have the right to... Um, also, you know, if you feel like there's discrimination on your credit report, there's the Fair Credit Reporting Act. You have the right to um, contact them and make sure that your credit is used appropriately. And if you feel like you have other action, definitely check with the state attorney general's office to see if the creditor violated state equal credit opportunity laws. Because when we talk about the law that we were just talking about, that's a federal law. There may also be state laws that are violated. So you want to check in with your state attorney general's office. Obviously, you, you may have the opportunity to sue uh, and win. And then you want to obviously talk to an attorney about that. But the federal agencies, including the FTC, share enforcement responsibility of the ECOA. And you could certainly visit the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB, or helpwithmybank.gov. It's a site that's maintained by the Office of the Controller of Currency for frequently asked questions on topics like your bank accounts, things like that, credit cards, loans, insurance, mortgages, identity theft, and such. So those are important places to go. But I would definitely go to state and federal government before I went to any private organization. I mean, I do help people in debt, but we don't deal with discrimination issues. If it came along and somebody said to me I was discriminated against, I feel like this loan was usurious, meaning that they were given the loan with horrendous terms, which I do see sometimes. You know, we do ask a number of questions and then we would refer them out. It's not a private matter. It's really a, a matter that has to be handled by the state and federal agencies. My firm doesn't sue banks or sue law firms or sue um, credit agencies for those type of things. And even when I see issues, you know, issues that do pop up, that's not something that uh, we handle. Okay. This has been fantastic, Leslie. You really have had a wealth of information, some fantastic tips. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I really have appreciated your time today. And thank you so much. And certainly, like I said, I'm available. You can easily find me on the internet. There's so much out, so much information about me out there and you're welcome to ask me questions and I'll be happy to point you to the right places. And the key takeaway, I hope, is awareness mm -hmm. of all these things. Um, and just don't be embarrassed or afraid to be asking any of these questions. It's, it's so important to protect yourself. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for your time and we'll talk again soon. Yes, thank you. That was a jam-packed interview, wasn't it? 
There is no doubt that Leslie is a wealth of knowledge. You can learn more and connect with her over at attorney-newyork.com. Of course, I have the link in the show notes. I'm curious, though, what was your biggest takeaway from today? I love her breakdown of the ways discrimination appears. And I know we don't tend to think about discrimination when it comes to our money. And not that it will happen to you, but it's just good to be aware of it, just like I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode. I also love how she shows resilience in her life. She shared what she learned as a result of her first marriage, and resilience also shows up in her career, where she wants to have her career, but also wants to have flexibility because she was thinking ahead of when she had kids. Now let's go on to the Reina of the Week. This week's Reina of the Week is Rita, who shared recently how her family opened up a high-yield savings account to start savings for a down payment for a house. Felicidades, Rita. Bien hecho. This month, we are focusing on resilience, if you haven't noticed already. And if you're struggling with resilience, be sure to check out her post on Instagram, which is at her dinero matters. I also have a worksheet that will help you in reactivating those resilient muscles. It is called the My Daily Money Ritual, and it will help you hone in on what you need to focus on in your financial life. You can grab it over at jenhemphill.com forward slash ritual, or you can check it out at the Her Dinero Matters Lounge, which is a collection of free and paid resources. And you can find that over at jenhemphill.com forward slash the lounge. Now, for those of you that have been here for a while, you'll notice that I have renamed that area a couple times. So just bear with me as I rename and improve. (laughs) Next week, we are going to discuss a topic we haven't discussed on this podcast. Surprisingly, the FI movement, which stands for the financial independence. And we'll be talking with our guest, Brad Barrett. That is it. Eso es todo. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. You can check out the show notes over at jenhempill.com forward slash 209 to refer back to everything you need from the show. Remember to claim your reina crown. You don't have to wait. The choice is definitely in your hands and becoming the reign of your money can start now. You've got this. Tu puedes sending you abrazos through this mic so you be ready to receive them. Also, share with us when you listen to this episode by taking a screenshot or a selfie and tag us in your IG stories with at Her Dinero Matters and at the hashtag Her Dinero Matters. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. I will talk to you next Thursday. Ciao.